Job chapter number three. Now, I asked the Lord what he'd have me bring on a Wednesday night. I realize I'm preaching to the choir tonight. There could be a lost person here, but that's not who we're preaching to per, per se. Always good to have somebody get saved, surprise us in the service, get, uh, but nobody's told me about anybody here that doesn't know the Lord is Savior. Not only that, but you folks are here on a midweek service. That means you're not nominal drop-in Sunday morning Christians. You, are, you love the Lord. You want to do right. You're serious about serving the Lord. But here's a message that all of us need from Job chapter number three, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number one. Now, before I get into the, the scriptures, let me remind you of Job's great trials, Job's great uh, troubles, and uh, won't get into all the theology that God was proving him to show the devil he had somebody that would love and serve God, uh, not just for the blessings of God, but for the God of the blessings, and there's a world of difference. And, uh, but anyway, man, he buried 10 children in one day. His wife told him to curse God and die. He had balls from head to toe. He was sitting in an uh, ash heap, scraping his, his sores with a pot shirt. He, he had gone through it, and uh, all of a sudden, he's in a dark hour. Now, I want to show you in Job 3, beginning in verse 1. Everybody stand up. Stand up for Jesus. I'm going to, I'm going to come up. I, I, I'm not going to preach so fast that I won't do you any good. But we're going to throw away the cob and keep the corn tonight, okay? And we're going to get right into the message from Job chapter 3 and verse number 1. After this, Job opened Job his mouth and cursed his day. And Job spake and said, let the day perish wherein I was born and the night. Now, if you mark in your Bible, and I highly advise you to mark in your Bible. I never open my Bible that I don't have a pen at hand. I don't mark much while I'm preaching for obvious reasons. But if somebody else is preaching, I'll mark things. My wife, my wife keeps notes on every preacher she ever heard. If she ever turns male, she can preach from anybody's pulpit. She, she's got all the outlines down. Now, I want you to notice this. You circle the word night there. Let the night, uh, let the day perish wherein I was born and the night in which it was said there's a man child conceived. No, uh, verse four, let that day be darkness. Circle the word darkness. Let not God regard it from above. Neither let the light shine upon it. Let darkness, circle the word darkness again. And the shadow, circle the word shadow of death, stain it. Let a cloud, circle the word cloud, dwell upon it. And let the blackness, circle the word blackness of the day, terrified. Verse 6, as for that night, circle the word night. Let darkness, circle the word darkness, seize upon it. Let it not be joined unto the days of the year. Let it not come into the chamber of the months. Lo, let that night, circle the word night, be solitary. Let no joyful voice come therein. And then I want you to know, Notice verse 9, let the stars of the twilight thereof be dark. Uh, circle the word dark. Now look up at me. In case you weren't counting, you have circled ten, nine, uh, ten times in nine verses that the word night, darkness, cloud, shadow, blackness, darkness, night, night was used by Job. Describing his condition, describing his situation. I think we could all safely agree that Job was going through a dark hour. Uh, in other places in the book of Job, for instance, don't turn, I'll read it to you, here in Job chapter number 10, verse 21. Before I go whence I shall not return even to the land of darkness and the shadow of death, a land of darkness as darkness itself and of the shadow of death without any order and where light is as darkness, 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 gloominess, night. He was in a dark, dark hour. 
Everybody goes through dark hours. I, I'm coming up on, I'm within three years of 60 years of preaching. Uh, Alan, if you, can, you and Ellie can believe it, we celebrate this year 50 years at Marion Avenue Baptist Church. 50 years. I was 27 years old when I started the church with four men and their wives. And it wasn't many years after that, we met Alan and Ellen down at Cedar River Baptist Camp. And, uh, but 50 years has gone by. And there's some things, and by the way, is this remote owned? Does anybody know? It is owned. Okay, good. Can you hear that? All right. I just want to make sure it's owned. Um, and so 50 years has taught me several things that you only learn through the years. But one thing is this. Everybody in the world goes through dark hours. All Christians go through dark hours. And sometimes the greater Christian they are and the more they do for God, the more dark hours they go through and the deeper dark hours they go through. Charles Hatton Spurgeon called the Prince of Preachers had to be out of his pulpit as much as uh, a month at a time. Depressed, dark. Actually, he had a nervous breakdown one time in the pulpit. The deacons had to come and remove him from the pulpit and talk him out of resigning his church. He was called the Prince of Preachers, Charles Hatton Spurgeon. Martin Luther would get so depressed and dark that at one point his wife came in wearing a black dress, a black hat, and a black veil, which people wore in mourning in those days. And she came in and looked down and said, and he looked up at her and said, Who died? And she said, Martin, God died. He said, woman, you're crazy. God can't die. He said, well, he must have. There's no way you could be acting like you're acting if God was still alive. And it became a point of conviction to him, and he got right with the Lord. My good pastor, Bobby Robertson, took a seventh grade education, took a church, uh, run 150, and built it to 3,000. He only had a seventh grade education. One of the godliest men I've ever known in my life the world's greatest pastor, and yet he went through seasons of darkness, had a complete nervous breakdown. I, I have preached for him. I have preached for him when, uh, when I could have took a baseball and pitched it through the parsonage window, and, and he was listening on the radio, couldn't even be in the service because his nerves had tore him all to pieces, and he couldn't even be in the service, and he'd be walking the floor, <laughs> gritting his teeth, saying his wife's name, Jackie. said, Jackie, I can't stand it, Jackie. I can't stand it. His nerves were all too pieces, but he was a godly man and a good man, and he went through that. And then David Brainerd, the great missionary to the American Indians, got so dark that often he said, I wished for myself that I might die. Dr. R.G. Lee preached payday someday over 2,000 times in America, and his other messages were equal in, in talent and, and delivery. Dr. R.G. Lee, uh, and uh, oh, the record he set, and the thousands of people he won to God. Dr. R.G. Lee would be out of his pulpit as much as a month at a time, depressed and nerves bad. One time he and his wife just went away and they slip in a little country church in the back without telling anybody who they were. And one, one such time they slipped in the back of the church and a little country preacher got up and preached payday someday word for word. Not realizing Dr. R.G. Lee was sitting in a service that preached the sermon 2,000 times in America. And uh, as, as, they, as Dr. Lee left, and uh, he said to his wife in that charming southern drawl, Did you hear that young man preach my sermon word for word? She said, Yeah. And he did a whole lot better job at it than you've been doing lately, too. Did you know that? 
All right. Everybody goes through dark hours. I'll tell you about some others, but I realize you, even though, hey, I'm older than the average of you, and I'm going to be standing up a long time after you sit down. Did you know that? But I'm going to pray right now and let you sit down. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you, Lord. My heart is blessed. My heart is blessed to be in this church. My heart is blessed to be with Brother Bottrell. My heart is blessed, uh, Lord, to be with Alan and Ellen. What a blessing. Lord, they haven't changed a thing. As a matter of fact, they don't look much different than they did 10 or 15 years ago to me. And I want to thank you for that, Lord Jesus. I pray that you'll bless us now as we bring the message for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, please. According to the Lord Jesus Christ, there was none greater born of women than John the Baptist. The forerunner of Jesus prophesied in the Old Testament he was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And yet, when he got down in prison, at least one time he got so dark and depressed, he told his own disciples, would you go over there and ask Jesus, is he really the Christ or should we look for somebody else? He was depressed and he was dark. Jeremiah, the great prophet, said, I said, I'll speak no more in his name. Uh, I'm tired of people wiping their feet on me and I, I preached right and nobody responded and nobody was listening and yet uh, he was dark. Uh, he went through a dark, dark hour. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, whom God used to write most of the beautiful psalms in Psalms 55, we read these words where David said, Psalms 55 and verse number uh, four, my heart is sore pain within me and terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me and horror hath overwhelmed me. And I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove for then would I fly away and be at rest. Lo, then would I wander afar off and remain. I just want to remain in the wilderness. He said, I just want to run away. I want to get away from all of it. I can't stand it. It's too heavy. It's too dark upon me. Uh, every great child of God that I've ever known and got close enough to know anything about went through dark. Even the great Elijah that could pray down the power of God got down under the juniper tree and wished for himself that he might die. He said, Lord, it's enough. Take away my life. And he was suicidal uh, down under the uh, the tree. The apostle Paul got depressed and he said uh, in fearfulness and trembling and and uh, pressed out of measure and distressed. And then he got all bum-fuzzled with himself. He said, the good that I would, I do not, but the evil that I would not, that I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. He was going through a dark hour. But the darkest hour that anyone in the world ever went through was gone through by my Lord in Mark 15, 33 and 34. And I want you to listen to it here. Here's what it says. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. The whole world got dark. And the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When God himself was separated from God, and when Jesus, who was God incarnate, had his father turn his back on him and the whole world got physically dark, but there was the darkest dark that anybody ever went through when he couldn't see his father's face anymore. That was the darkest hour anybody has ever gone through. And, uh, uh, you know, Satan finds his fertile soil to, to bug you and lie to you and tempt you in your dark hour. That's when he does it. In Matthew 4, 1 through 4, Jesus had gone 40 days and nights without food, and Satan came to him. 
uh, you get where you're physically drained or drawn, Satan will come to you. You'll, go, you'll get into darkness. I saw a funny sign in Cracker Barrel not long ago. I, I, I was walking through. You're looking still while you're waiting on your food. And there was a sign that said, I'm sorry for what I said to you while I was hungry. <laughs> I like that. We, how fickle we are. I mean, our physical condition changed just a little bit, and down we go. Now, when we go, everybody goes through dark hours. I've known dark hours. You've known dark hours. I do not know a great child of God that I've ever got close enough to know much about that didn't go through dark hours. Depression, downness, discouragement, despondency, uh, no, no light at the end of the tum- tunnel, that kind of thing. Now, when your dark hour comes, and it has, and will come again if you live long enough, then Satan has some things to say to you. And he always says them in your dark hour. So what message will he bring to you in your dark hour? The first one is the inward message of condemnation. The inward message of condemnation. Notice here we're open to our text in chapter 3. Now look in chapter 4. In chapter 4, then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, and here's what he said in verse 7. Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent. And then in verse 8, even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. Now, here's one of the three so-called friends of Job. Now, he's got something to say to Job in his dark hour. Now, really, Satan is speaking through him. And Satan will use people more than any other thing in your dark hour. Satan will use people more than sickness. He can use sickness. He can use trials. He can use testing. He can use financial loss and everything else. But he will use people more than anything else. So here's uh, one of his three closest friends, and he says, whoever perished being innocent, whoever went through what you're going through and was not guilty of something, here's the message. When you go through your dark hour, Satan will say this to you. There's something wrong with you. There's something wrong. You would not be going through this if you were right in every area. There's something wrong with you, and you're reaping what you're sowing. And uh, you're no good. And Job fought back. And if you have any kind of victory in your Christian life, you're going to have to resist the devil. You know, I preached a sermon one time called Some Things You Run From and Some Things You Don't. You, you run from the flesh. You don't stand up to the flesh and temptation. You run from that, whether it's pornography or, or something else. But when it comes to Satan's lies to you and onslaught, resist the devil and he will uh, flee from you. And so uh, Job uh, resisted. But I want you to notice here, uh, he accused him. As a matter of fact, in chapter 22 and verse number 5, listen to what another one of these servants said. Chapter 22, verse 5. Is not thy wickedness great? He's talking to Job now. And thine iniquity is infinite. And he says, Yah has taken a pledge from thy brother for naught and has stripped the naked of their clothing. Notice in verse 7, thou hast not given water to the weary to drink. Verse number five, uh, verse number seven, last part, thou hast withholding bread from the hungry. Verse nine, thou hast sent widows away empty and the arms of the fathers have been broken. Therefore snares are round about thee and sudden fear trouble thee. This is why you're going through. What you're going through, Job, is because you, the way you treated people, nothing could have been further from the truth than what he said. 
I mean, nothing. Job sought out. Listen, matter of fact, Job fought back. Notice in chapter 29, verse number 14. I'll, I'll read it if you don't want to rush over there. Uh, notice here in verse number 12, because I delivered the poor that cried. That's what Job said. And the fatherless and him that had none to help him. Verse 13, last part of the verse, I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. Verse number um, uh, 15, I was eyes to the blind and feet I was to the lame. Verse 16, I was a father to the poor and the cause which I knew not I searched out. The exact opposite of everything that these wicked friends were saying, motivated, inspired by Satan and and you're going to have to Stand up to the devil. You're going to have to stand up to the devil. You just are. And in chapter 40 and verse number 6, now I won't, I don't, I'm on a time element here, so I don't have time to go into all of this. Chapter 40 and verse number 6, uh, God spoke to Job. And God began to point out some things to Job. And you know what Job did? He repented. Oh, in a very great way. He repented. And he said, uh, uh, I've heard of thee by the hear, hearing of the ear, but now my eye hath seen thee. And I realize my sin, oh, wretched man, and he got on the altar. Now, here's an important fact. Don't ever forget this. Allow the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God to convict you, but never allow the devil to convict you. You see, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Satan will make you feel in your heart you've done wrong when you really haven't. He'll also make you feel right when you've done wrong. (laughs) But he'll make you feel uh, wrong when you haven't done anything wrong. You can't go by your feelings. You have to obey the word of God and you have to let God convict you, but don't let the devil. See, if you let the devil convict you, he'll take you down, but he won't bring you back up. But if God convicts you, he will bring you down. He will humble you, but then he will lift you up. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. The inward message of condemnation. Isn't it amazing what little it takes to throw us into a tailspin and put us into a dark, dark day? A child go into sin. Uh, A word from a spouse, just a word from a good spouse, a sweet and uh, spiritual spouse, a husband or a wife, just one word, just cuts you completely to the heart. Um, You cannot be thin-skinned and do much for God. You can't, you're going to have to ignore feelings and ignore uh, all kinds of impressions and ignore gloominess and ignore uh, physical tiredness and ignore drainness and ignore the fact that you don't have that uh, spiritual hallelujah zip you had yesterday. You're going to have to ignore that and go on and serve God. I've told people down through these years, Alan and Ellen attended my church many times. Not one time, not one time in all of those years did the members of Marion Avenue Baptist Church see me come to the pulpit like, well, folks, y'all got to pray for me. I got a heavy heart. I've had a hard day. Now, there were times I felt that way, but I let the devil make his own announcements. And I just make God's announcements. And I've sat in my office and stared at the back of my office door knowing I had to get, go out and preach. And I was so low because of whatever, so down, so dark, so dismal, so hopeless, felt like I had no faith at all and no strength to preach. And I stared at the back of that door and I said, God, if you'll get me through this service, I'll thank you and praise you. I just want to go home and go to bed and forget it all. And I'd stand up and straighten up and I'd walk out that door and bound down that aisle and say, folks, it's good to be saved. You say, weren't you a hypocrite? No, I was not a hypocrite. It's good to be saved whether I feel saved or not. 
And another thing, the Bible don't say let everything that feels inspired praise the Lord. It said let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You ought to praise God every day of your life. And that's the way you get out of that darkness is praising the Lord. Satan can't stand praise. But that inward message of condemnation. Number two, that poison message of bitterness. Uh, We are led to believe that Job did face some bitterness. Now, he was a victor, but he faced some bitterness in chapter 23, verse 1 through 3. And listen to what he said. He said, then Job answered and said, even today is my complaint bitter. He used the word, even today is my complaint bitter. God, I don't know know where to find you. You, I talk to you. I want to be right with you, but I don't even know where you are. My complaint is bitter. I must take him at his word. That poison message of bitterness. And of course, we're all familiar with Hebrews 12 and verse number 15. Beware lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and many be defiled thereby. And if you look at that in this context, it's talking about when you're chastened and when you're down and when you go through a hard time and you need to lift up the feeble knees that hang down and make straight paths for your feet. It was three verses later. He said, beware lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble. Bitterness will come in the dark hour. Bitterness will come in the dark hour. Um, I could, uh, you know, my, Alan and Ellie were very familiar with my first wife. And Ellen and her were so close in many, many ways. And uh, our first baby died. We had seven total. She, had, she lost uh, uh, two before the first one was born that we kept. And then we had seven in a row. But um, uh, the first baby came and lived a full nine months, lived two days and died. And my wife almost died. 21 days before she could be out of bed, had a doctor, didn't know anything about let her die. And uh, it just about let, and finally they kicked him out of the hospital for malpractice. He didn't know enough to be a doctor. But anyway, it was a dark hour. And uh, it wasn't long after that, we were out visiting when she was finally able to get up we knocked on the door, and there was a baby crawling in filth and liquor and beer in the house, and a man and woman probably wouldn't even married, walking around, man walking around with no shirt on, and the house so filthy you couldn't breathe in it. And, uh, and the devil crawled up her shoulder and said, now that's the way God does people. Yeah, uh, people are going to have a Christian home and already prayed for the little baby and got a little bassinet waiting in a pretty little child's room waiting. God takes her babies, but people that are going to cuss and carry on and not go to church, and I couldn't lead them to the Lord, and they, they didn't want anything to do with God. God lets them keep their baby. And my wife, got in a, she got in a horrible, bitter mood and gave me permission to tell it later. And it was a whole year she was that way. And I won't tell you how she came out of it. I'll tell you that in another message I've got. But she went through a dark, dark hour. Um, you know, the people of God said in Malachi, Wherein hast thou loved us? When did you ever love us, God? You know, if you lose sight, if you lose sight of the love of God, if you lose sight, um, I preach for Bud Silver. Bud Silver, uh, still in his 20s, he and his wife, getting a church off the ground. Now, this was some years before I preached for him the first time. His wife was driving over to a Christian school to take the children so they could have Christian education for their children, driving the van over there. And one morning, there was a terrible collision with an 18-wheeler. There was 11 people on a 15-passenger van. There was Brother Silver's wife and his four children and some teenagers. And it killed everybody on that van 
except Brother Silver's four-year-old girl. Killed his wife, killed his three children, killed the other teenagers on the van. Uh, he had an album that I, I got the book he wrote on. I, I, there's pictures of, of the sheets laying over them out there on the side of the highway. And uh, I said, Brother Silver, didn't you face bitterness over that? He said, you know, some way, Brother Brown, I didn't. I said, how did you escape it? He said, you know, some way I just never lost sight of the fact that irregardless of all the things I could not understand, Jesus still loved me. Jesus still loves me. And you know what? If you never lose fact, no matter what dark hour you go through, if you never lose fact of that fact, Jesus loves me. And Psalm 73, verse 2, my steps had well nigh slipped. My, I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I'm thinking now of a man uh, that got saved uh, and he went to our church and he had worked at a factory and he, he was a sharp, nice looking young fellow in his 30s. And he told me, he said, uh, Pastor Brown, he said, I have been out with every woman on that line. And I mean out in sin with them. And then he got saved and gave his life to God. But he said, man, the joy of the Lord. But then after a while, I went through a hard time. Couldn't make payments, couldn't make house payment. Hard to buy groceries. And he said it was just, man, the bottom was falling out. And I got to thinking about those executives where I worked. And uh, they had a Learjet and they'd go down to the ocean, fly down to the ocean and take wicked women and be in a real expensive condo and live it up in highball sin. And he said, I got to thinking, man, they don't even know God. And look how they're blessed. And I can't even buy groceries. And he said, one day, one of those executives came up to him. And uh, he said, Danny, I envy you. He said, I just looked up at him and said, you envy me? He said, yeah. He said, why do you envy me? He said, well, I'll tell you why. He said, Danny, we've got the wine and we've got the women and we've got the jet to take us where we want to go every weekend. And he said, we, we live it up highball. But when we come back and they get off that jet, Learjet, they go to their place and we go to ours and we're lonely and we live with the realization that those women don't care anything about us. All they want is money. They don't, he said, we live with the realization nobody loves us. Nobody really loves us. Nobody cares. They just want a big ride. They want a thrill, but they don't want a commitment. But when you get home today, Penny will open her arms and throw her arms around you. Son, you got something. I'm envious of you. And he turned and walked off. And Danny said, I could hardly wait for break to get in the men's room and kneel by that little throne in one of those little prayer booths in there and say, dear God, forgive me. Oh, God, forgive me. I'm rich, and I didn't know how rich I was. And friend, I'll tell you what. Uh, the devil will come with that inward message of condemnation and that poison message of bitterness. Uh, I could go on and on about that, but let's go to the third one here real quickly. There is a third message the devil will bring, the subtle message of doubt. In Matthew chapter number 11, verse 3, I'll just quote, let me quote it to you here. The subtle message of doubt. John the Baptist was in prison. And that wasn't a place for a John the Baptist. He was made for the wilderness, crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. But he's in prison. And he says, would you go over there and ask Jesus, is he really the one or should, or is he really the Messiah? The worst sin ever committed by a disciple of our Lord 
in the New Testament. Peter cursed and swore and denied the Lord, but denied the Lord, but he never denied that he was the Lord. He never cast a question mark on the deity of Christ. He denied him. But the worst sin was the one committed by John when he says, go over there and ask him, is he really Christ or should we look for somebody else? And when John's disciples went over there, they walked right up while Jesus was teaching it in front of everybody and said, John sent us over here to ask you, are you really God? What a testimony. Uh, he, was going, he was in a dark hour. He was in prison. He was going through a dark, dark time. I got to preach a friend in another state. I preached for him multiple times. And man, what a commander in the pulpit he is. And he's a good man, a godly man. It was no fake. And had a lively church and the choir would lift you out of your seat and the congregation would sing. And man, he was, he was Mr. Command in the pulpit for God. And after some years of knowing him, he called me one day. He said, Brother Brown, he said, uh, boy, you need to pray for me. He said, I'm the encourager, but I need somebody to encourage me. He said, I'm the one that lifts everybody, but I need somebody to lift me. He said, I'm, even begin, I'm beginning to wonder whether I'm really doing what I ought to be doing or not. I don't even know if I'm supposed to pastor a church or not. I don't even know what I'm capable of doing. I said, well, I do know what you're capable of doing, and I do know what's wrong with you. He said, you do? I said, yes, I do. And I'm going to tell you exactly what's wrong with you. Number one, you're capable of doing anything you have done. If you'd never built a great church, I'd say you couldn't do it. But you did do it. And if you did it once, you can do it again. And if you can be alive in the pulpit once, you can be alive in the pulpit again. And if you bless people and got people saved, you can do it again. But I said, I'm going to tell you why you're, you're, you're down like you are. Didn't you tell me your wife had been sick over a year? Yeah. Did you tell me you just got out of the hospital after prolonged sickness? He said, yeah. I said, there's your problem. It's wore you down. It's got you down. You're, you, you're worn out mentally, emotionally, physically. You're exhausted. You're drained. And he got quiet. He said, do you reckon that? I said, I don't reckon anything about it. Your wife, and she's a good woman, but man, and it was an incurable disease. And I said, you fought that thing for a solid year. You heard the old saying, happy wife equals happy life. <laughs> well, she wasn't happy not because that she was backslid. She wasn't happy because she's sick. She couldn't, she couldn't avoid it. She was sick. And I said, then you went to the hospital and you've been sick and your, your body is drained of strength. And now the devil has come and got you in your dark hour. And I told him about Job and how Satan came in Job's dark hour. You go through a dark hour. There's the subtle message of doubt. The subtle message of doubt. The only cure for that is in Acts 27 when Paul disappeared and stayed in the bow of the ship in the darkest storm you ever read about in the whole Bible. But he got in touch with God and came out and said, Sirs, I believe God. Just get along with God a while. Uh, The subtle message of doubt. Let me throw this one out. The evil message of temptation. Boy, the devil will come to you when you get down, when you go through a trial, when you go through darkness. Let me relate some scriptures to you, if I may. In Genesis 37, verse number 24, listen to these words. And they took him, meaning Joseph, and they cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty and there was no water in it. So he's in a pit. He's been hated by his brothers. He's been sold as a slave. And though he he was his father's pet, now he's convinced he'll never see his father again as long as he lives. 
He's in a pit. He's down. He's in the darkness. He can still see the grimmest, horrid, demonic faces of his brothers as they look over the edge of that deep pit and grin at him and say, where's your dreams now, boy? Where's all those dreams you dream for God now, boy? And now he has to close his eyes and see that every night. That's in chapter number uh, 37. Now turn the page to chapter 39. What does it say here? Verse 7. And it came to pass after these things. What things? After being hated by your brothers. They hurt him too, by the way. They hurt his hands and feet. And the indication is it's more than just putting a bruise on it. They came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. So here's this beautiful, attractive, influential, sensual, satanically driven female who's unleashing all of her temptation powers on a young man that's still a teenager. That's pressure on a man of any age. But here's this, somebody asked me one time, I said, Brother Brown, where'd you ever read in the Bible she was beautiful? I said, use your head. It was Potiphar's wife. You think a man of that caliber would pick a woman, be so ugly, she had to sneak up on the glass, get a drink of water? Come on, use your head. It was Potiphar's wife. And she unleashed her powers. Come lie with me. After these things, oh, she didn't get him when he was up on the mountain. She didn't get him when he was having his dreams for God. No, she knew better. And the devil knows better than to try to get you pulled down off that mountain. But he'll wait for you off the mountain when you get you down in the valley, when you're depressed, you're down, you lose all the good reasons to say no to sin. The evil message of temptation. Here's what the devil will say when you're down in the darkness and everything's going backwards. Here's what he'll say to you. Now look, this is the way the devil talks to you. You tried. You went to church, you tied, you prayed, you went soul winning, you loved God. You served in your music and your choir and your, and your ushering and nursery and all the good things you did to be faithful. Now look where it's got you. And this is the way God pays off. So then Satan says, look, you went God's way. Now you see how it's working. Why don't you go my way a little bit? See, that's the way the devil will talk to you. The devil hits you in your dark hour and says, hey, I got something for you. I was going down the road some years ago, Alan, and you know how you'll glance up and see a billboard and then you look away when it's not something you need to be reading. But I glanced up and here was this horizontal billboard, a big one, and laying across, all the way horizontal, across the billboard was a woman. She, her dress is to her ankles, but it was very slinky looking, you know. And she's laying horizontal. And uh, the entire end of the billboard on the right-hand side was a tall bottle of Seagram 7. And here's all that was said on the billboard. Everybody deserves a little comfort. You see what's happening here? Look, you need comfort. You're going through a hard time. I mean, you're in a dark hour. You say, well, serve God. Well, you did serve God. Look where you are now. So Satan says, look, you tried it God's way. It didn't work. Would you let me comfort you? There's a little comfort in the Bible. There's a little comfort in some sensual relationship. No, the devil is a liar. Don't let him lie to you in your dark hour. Don't let him lie to you in your dark... You tried. Here's what they'll all say if I'm talking to them. They're going to leave her wife or her husband. And, go, and you know what they'll say? Don't I deserve to be happy? Don't I... You, know, you hear that all the time. Don't I deserve to be happy? 
More people go back to smoking that hadn't smoked in 25 years when they go into a dark hour. More people go back and take a drink that hadn't taken a drink for years in their dark hour. More people lose their temper. More people (coughs) uh, start dressing, uh, women start dressing like they shouldn't dress in their dark hour. Uh, A woman told my wife one time, said, I mean, she was an angel. She grew up in my church and she loved the Lord. And she (laughs) reached a certain age that women sometimes reach. And she said to my wife, I'm tempted to go places I've never gone. I'm tempted to do things I've never done. I'm tempted to wear clothes I've never worn before. And my wife said to her, honey, it's your age. You're going through a dark hour. And in your dark hour, Satan's talking to you. And Satan will talk to you in your dark hour. The inward message of condemnation. The poison message of bitterness. The subtle message of doubt. And the evil message of temptation the evil message of temptation. Uh, What is Satan saying to you in your dark hour? And then may I say this, the empty message of despair. In Job 23, verse number 8, we read these words. Job 23, 8. Listen carefully. Behold, I go forward. This is Job speaking. He's in this dark hour. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. I'm looking for God. I'm looking for God everywhere and I can't find God. He said, I'm despairing. I'm despairing. I'm frustrated. I'm totally, I, I don't know what to do. You know, David despaired when he said, I shall one day die at the hand of Saul. I shall one day die at the hand of Saul. Uh, He was despairing. And then he fled to the, of all things, the enemy that he's supposed to be fighting the Philistines. Jeremiah 20 and verse number nine says, Jeremiah said, I said, I'll speak no more in his name. He was going through a dark hour. He said, thou hast deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. But in, in that verse 9, he says, But his word was as a fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary of forbearing, and I could not stay. Um, there's a preacher that I knew well. I was in his church. He was going through a dark hour. It was kind of a prolonged thing, but it just came to head one week. I could take you to his church. I've been in it. And he had a bad week. His son wrecked the car that week, and I don't know that they had insurance on it. Uh, No, his daughter wrecked the car. That's what it was. His daughter wrecked the car, and his son got kicked out of the school for having a knife. And everything was caving in on him. And he came to the pulpit that Sunday morning and started made some announcements, started reading his text. And he looked up, and the people were just dead as last year's bird's nest. Just staring at him. And he thought, this is a dead crowd. I got to do something live in this crowd. So he told a joke. But nobody even grinned. Nobody laughed. Nobody nobody even grinned. Look, if if your pastor says something humorous in the pulpit, and I like the way he conducted himself here in the first part of this service, Smile, laugh. You don't see anything funny, laugh anyway. If you have to tickle yourself, laugh. 
It'll do you good. It'll do him good. He's trying to wake you up. <laughs> Somebody was telling me about a church so dead. It, the church was so dead that a woman died in a service and the, and the rescue unit hauled out three women before they found the right one. I mean, it was dead. And, uh, but anyway, so he said, uh, well, that was supposed to be funny, folks, and nobody grinned yet. And he looked down and he had a deacon and he was nodding. And he slammed his Bible closed and he said, you'll have my resignation Saturday night. And he walked right around the pulpit, straight out the back door and never came back. Now, he did wrong, was unjustified. He did wrong, was a rotten testimony. But don't you come down too hard on him. Don't you condemn him too much. You've not got to that dark hour yet. You've not got there yet. The despair. In 2 Chronicles 32, verse 3, the Bible says of Hezekiah, boy, this is a verse you ought to memorize. And the Lord left him to prove him to see what was in his heart. Just like Job, God left him. Oh, God didn't leave him. He never leaves us. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake. But as far as his awareness, his joy, his presence, uh, his blessings, the seeming leadership in the word of God. I mean, it's like you pray and you're just bouncing words off a ceiling. You, you, You feel foolish even praying. You feel silly even trying to read your Bible. And you're in a dark hour and you wonder like Job did, where's God? Oh, God's sitting there. But you know what he's doing? He's testing you to see what's in your heart. Anybody can praise the Lord on the mountain. Anybody can shout when everything's good. But boy, when you get in the valley, the subtle message, empty message of despair. Somebody said never despair. But if you do, go on in despair.